0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Hello. Hmm. It's great to see you guys (laughs) coming back from New Jersey. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Well, <clears throat> I am very happy to be back with you today. Um, last, uh, last weekend, Sam and I were at uh, Camp Washington um, up in the woods of Maine uh, to celebrate the ordination of my good friend, Daryl Young. Um, it was a very encouraging time there at camp, and that's the camp that I grew up going to um and I think I think Sam's gonna be able to say the same thing. He loved it up there, so um maybe we'll send him there to camp next year. And immediately after we got back from that, uh I dropped Sam off, got into a different car and we all rode to New Jersey uh for six days for our last baseball tournament of the year. <sighs> um and uh, as I said before, that trip was not without its own twists and turns um, with field temperatures of over 100 degrees and, and flat tires on the highway and things like that made it um, made it an interesting journey. But it's kind of that idea of twists and turns along our path um, that has been swirling around in my spirit as I considered our text for this morning 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6, uh, and that's page 1016 in the Pew Bibles, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. And typically, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this, Noticed by now usually we read the text and pray and get started, but I want to I want to read a different text um, first and then pray. Uh, and the text I'd like to read um, is Matthew 7. 13 and 14. And this is the Lord Jesus speaking. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Let's pray together. Father God, again, we are grateful to gather together in your name this morning to celebrate you and worship and singing, to listen hard for your instruction from your word. So Lord, we pray now that your spirit would speak, that you would be our interpreter of your word this morning, that you would reveal the true meaning and help us to find application We're so grateful for your love for us and pray that you would be glorified in this time together. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I don't know if you know this or not, but Christianity has its own vernacular. We have our own vocabulary. Sometimes we laugh and call it Christianese we say things and use words that nobody else understands, don't know what you're talking about at all. Um, if you've ever been told to make sure you leave room for the Holy Spirit um, between you and your girlfriend, <laughs> that's uh, Christianese, or talking about baby Christians, or um, any one of those uh, expressions, um, there's actually a... A website called DictionaryofChristianese.com, if you uh, if you like that sort of thing, and if you if you really get a kick out of that, you'll you'll really like StuffChristiansLike.net. I'm not here to do commercials, but these are just sponsored by, sponsored by StuffChristiansLike.net. You can read their book, um, 1995. Uh, just a funny take on some of the things that we just kind of. After a while, just become normal. And um, I don't know. But one of those phrases that is very popular, and we don't think about it at all, I don't think, and that is the phrase, Christian walk, our Christian walk, or our walk with Christ. Now, someone who's not a Christian, who's never heard that expression before, might figure it out on their own, but probably not. Um, but there are verses that support that particular phrase, and the, the phrase that is uh, that it's borrowed from is Colossians two six and seven, and of course Matthew as well. The idea of walking on the through the narrow gate on the on the hard way that leads to life. But Colossians two six and seven says, therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And I think the idea of hiking on a path or walking on a path very closely parallels our texts for this morning in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. So let's read that together and see if we can't tie these things together. 1 Peter 4, 1. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So you can obviously see the path uh, analogy there, right? Wow. Well. Maybe in a minute. Ten years ago on Father's Day, um, my dad and I went on a memorial fishing trip. Um, My grandfather had died that spring, and we wanted to do something to honor Grandpa on Father's Day. And so we decided to hike the old trail along the McGalloway River between Azizcahas and Parmachini Lake, uh, where that's where... Grandpa taught my dad to fly fish. I have pictures of him at six years old with a fly rod in his hand at Parmachini Dam, uh, and that's in turn where my dad taught me how to fly fish. And I don't ever talk about it uh, really, because who's got time for fishing, Ben? Um, <laughs> but we just we I haven't fished for a long time, but I really do I really do enjoy it. So this hike was about a three mile hike along the river um, from the number ten bridge up to the dam. Uh, and the dam isn't really a dam anymore. Uh, it's just some old wooden pilings. Uh, there's evidence there used to be a structure there. Um, it also was a bridge a hundred years ago, but the dam isn't the only thing that isn't there anymore. The trail isn't there anymore either. Um, that trail along the McGalloway had been so little used that any sign of the trail had all but disappeared. Um, but we were determined, so we bushwhacked three miles through through the brush to Parmachini Dam, so we could fish the river back down uh, to our truck. Three miles through thick brush in waders carrying fly rods. <laughs> three miles. The irony here is that on the other side of the river, there's a road. <laughs> and we saw several Subarus zip by with their kayaks and out-of-state plates um, up to Parmaccini. And that would have been, I don't need to tell you, that would have been a lot easier. But it would kind of miss the point of what we were doing. Um, we'd, kind of, we'd miss out on the memorial part of our trip. We'd get the fishing part, uh, but kind of miss out on the memorial part. But we finally made it all the way up to the dam, I'm sure you've been wondering. We made it to the dam, and we fished all the way back down the river, and we caught salmon and trout in every single hole that we wet our line. Every time a fly went in the water, a fish came out. It was the best day of fishing I have ever experienced in my life. Let's close in prayer. What does this have to do with 1 Peter? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now you have to remember the context here. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we talked about 1 Peter you have to remember where Peter had just been in his letter, where he's coming from. He had just been discussing how baptism uh, was an appeal to God for a good conscience and how Christ had suffered for our sins but was now at the right hand of God with all authority and angels um, subject to him. So when Peter says to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, he is telling us that those who follow Christ... We follow on the path that he has cut through the wilderness, and we need to be prepared. We need to arm ourselves with his way of thinking. Now, we could just kind of, if we take it out of context, and arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Great. What does that mean? That's kind of Christianese, right? What, what, what does that really mean? Well, it... Peter is not making an arbitrary, nebulous statement about having the mind of Christ, and you're up, it's up to you to figure out what that is. Peter is saying you need to take Christ's perspective on suffering. You need to take that up as a shield. Because if you have that mindset of the purpose of suffering, that God is at work in suffering then you are able to deflect the attacks of the enemy. Okay, we had a flat tire on the side of the road in New Jersey. A great opportunity for complaining, like I said. But the truth of the matter is, I, I, I still don't know why exactly that happened, other than God had either something better in mind for us or was sparing us from something worse. I may never know. And that's okay. But that idea gives purpose to the problem. It's not just God's punishing me or life is hard, boo-hoo, woes me. There, that God is at work. Christ knew that God the Father was at work in his suffering. Jesus knew that there was a purpose to his suffering and there's a glorious goal at the end of the trail. That he was on. But I want you to be very careful to not be deceived into thinking that Christ's suffering was only his crucifixion, that his suffering was only at the cross. It certainly culminated there at his death, but it began at his birth. He was faced with all the same temptations that we are. He suffered through temptations, just like we do. Yet he did not sin. He didn't give in. He followed the law of God and he followed the will of God to perfection. And he was constantly assailed by the temptation to stray from the path, to find an easier way, to reject the end goal. And avoid all the trouble to join the Subarus on the other side of the river. But that's not what he chose to do. He chose to endure the suffering. He chose to bear up under temptation. And we can read the scripture that when Satan appears and, and, and tempts Jesus in the wilderness, well, that's not the only time, friends. That's not the only time that Jesus was tempted. It was a constant battle, just like it is for us. Jesus chose to bear up, to continue blazing the trail that God the Father had laid out for him. And at the end of that trail was a glorious reward for him and for us who believe in him. That glorious reward is an end to sin and a reunion with our Heavenly Father. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ and repent of our sin, temptation to sin no longer has any real power over us. Sin no longer has mastery over our lives. Do you know that? Do you feel that? No. (laughs) If you're like, yeah! You're wrong. No, man. I mean, sin is constantly nagging us. We're constantly facing temptation for whatever. Those apart from Christ don't know the freedom from sin, the freedom that is real to us, whether we feel it or not. The truth is, we are set free from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We do have freedom. And those apart from Christ don't know this freedom. The truth is, those of us who walk this path with Christ seldom know this freedom either, even though it is very real. And it's not because... That freedom from the power of sin isn't real, but it's just because we choose to allow the power of sin to control us. We choose to let sin win. We choose to let temptation take us in, off the path. And as we walk along the path that Jesus has cut through the wilderness of this life, it's easy to lose the markers of the trail. It's easy to get lost. Sometimes the trail that Christ has blazed is not a four-lane highway. It is not 495. It may feel like the George Washington Bridge at times. But it's hard sometimes to see through the bushes and trees and to see where to go next. Sometimes it's tempting to just find another way around those obstacles in front of us. When the truth of the matter is the trail goes straight through. You say, Dad, why don't we just walk along the river? I mean, at least we won't be getting branches in the face. path isn't on the river. Dad, I think there's a logging road up here. Look, it's clear up there. the, The trail doesn't go up there. It's right here, and it's hard. But it's that suffering, that bearing up under trial, that consistent turning from temptation to sin, choosing not to follow the passions of the flesh, that reminds us that the power of sin over our lives really is broken. We don't have to stray from the path. We don't have to. You don't have to leave the path. And I don't know how to say this any clearer. If you belong to Jesus, every time you leave the path, it's because you choose to. Every time we sin, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, every time we sin, it's because we choose it. You believe the lie that sin is better. Sin is more satisfying. The path of sin is easier than following Christ through the thicket. Maybe it is easier. Maybe it is more enjoyable. Maybe it it has temporary satisfaction. But is it better? No. Is it good? No. Is it for your good? No. Is it for the glory of God? No. If we acquire the mind which is done with sin, our relation to sin may be that of one who has died and risen again. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's what Peter was talking about with baptism, because that's what baptism symbolizes. The death of our old man, our old way of life, and resurrection to new life in Christ as a new creature a whole new person. Robert Jamieson wrote, The Christian is by faith one with Christ. As then Christ by death is judicially freed from sin, so the Christian who has in the person of Christ died has no more to do with it judicially and ought to have no more to do with it actually. We're no longer under the penalty of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not standing under looming judgment anymore through faith in him. That's the good news. And so we ought to avoid the necessity of Christ's sacrifice anymore. That's what Paul talked about. Should I go on sinning so that grace may increase? Oh, God is so gracious. I just want to show off his grace by sinning more and making my forgiveness more necessary And exercising his grace a little more. That's awful. That's that's wrong. It's actually in the Bible. Don't do that. Simply put, we've played around with sin enough already. It's time to move on. When we become dead to the flesh through faith in Christ, we can have no more to do with sin. That it should reign in us and exercise its power over us. Now, I don't know if you heard me just say it's possible for you not to sin anymore. I'm not trying to create a a perfect utopian cult here. What I'm saying is that it is possible for you to choose not to sin. It's possible. Peter gives us that reminder in verses 3 and 4. He also reminds us that we are not the only ones who are aware of our past and our choice to follow this new path. Verse 3 says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentiles is just anyone who is not a believer in Jesus. This is not someone who is not Jewish. This is someone who is not a believer. Um, the Greek word is more, it's ethnos. It's the people the people apart from Christ. The past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking party, and lawless idolatry. Do we need to do a word study there? I think it's relatively clear what Peter means. With with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. As we walk along this path, no matter how smooth or no matter how difficult, there will be times when the people that we knew before, the people we knew before we knew Christ, will be surprised by our new way of life and may not necessarily approve. They may be standing over there next to their Subaru on the other side of the river, saying, "You started on the number 10 bridge like the rest of us. Why are you over there in that mess? Why don't you come over here? It's so much easier. This is the you were on this path before. You're an idiot for being over there in the woods." Many of us, I'm sure, have been made fun of or questioned by those we know and love that don't understand why we act differently, act differently from when we, from, from before we knew Christ, or will remind us of how we were and what we used to do and use those times to accuse us. I'd like to say that never happens to me because I've been a Christian for like, I don't know, 500 years, but that's not true. I got that even this past week. Remember what you said in sophomore English class? I kid you not, that happened this week. But what we were is not what we are now. The old has gone and the new has come. In Christ, we are new creatures. We are a whole new kind of thing. And though there may be those on the far side of the river with the nice smooth road in their Subarus and kayaks laughing at us winding our way through the thicket and the pucker brush, judgment is looming for those who are apart from Christ, for those who reject Christ and his way. We are on the trail that Christ has blazed for us, regardless of what they think. They're going to have to answer for the way they think and act just like we were standing under that same judgment before we came to faith in Christ. And a statement in verse six is tricky for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that those uh, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit, the way God does. Now this could be referring back to what Peter said in the previous chapter about Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison. Remember that? I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, but I think a more obvious meaning in a plain reading of the text is that the gospel had been preached to people who have since died at the writing of this letter. And though their flesh died as if they had been judged by faith in Christ, they still have eternal life, just as we've been promised in John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sometimes the path of Christ is confusing. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Why would why would he drag us through this mess? Sometimes it's just hard. And he gets sick of getting whacked in the face with branches. And get sick of wondering if the next step is the right one or not. Sometimes people will make fun of us for sticking with it. And that stinks. That's no fun at all. None of these are good excuses for wandering off the path. Come join us. It's easier over here on the other side of the river. That's not the trail. I'm on the path of Christ. There's just too much woods. I can't see. There's no paint on the trees. I can't. There's no markers for me to follow. This is too hard. Put one foot in front of the other. One day at a time. We have no excuse to wander off. Warren Wearsby wrote, the will of God comes from the heart of God and is therefore an expression of the love of God. We may not always understand what he is doing, but we know that he is doing what is best for us. We don't live on explanations. We live on promises. The promise is there's a glorious goal at the end of the trail. Marvelous fishing. But the question I've been wrestling and thinking about this, we could just end with that. Like, it's all about just reaching the end goal. Stay on the trail and you reach the end goal. And I have to think about, well, what what is the end goal? Like, for us, it was Parmaccini Dam, right? And then fishing and no more branches in the eye. Or, yeah, it, you just want to fish, like, sick of this, bushwhacking, sweating, waders, tangled up lines, all of that mess. But getting to the end wasn't the goal. And as you think about this idea of the path, you have to ask the question, well, what is the goal? What is your goal? What is your goal in life? Is it is it just a finish? Because I mean that's going to happen, <laughs> one way or the other. If you you know by your your natural death or Christ's return, path done right. Finishing the path, reaching the end, getting to Parmachini Dam isn't up to us. The Heavenly Father determines when and how and where this life will end. He's the one that determines when our path is completed. So what is our goal? What should our goal be? Stay on the path. No matter what. The only way to consistently stay on the path is to consistently say no to sin. To say no to leaving the path. That's the goal. Stay on the path. God will decide when the path is over. He already knows. He knows all of your days before even one of them came to be. He knows how long the path is. He knows if you make it to Parmaccini or not. Your goal, my goal, is to stay on the path. In the dark hours of our temptation, when the path is the hardest, he is not absent. You ever feel that way? Like he's not watching right now, right? Or I'm just left alone to deal with this on my own. In the dark hours, he is not absent. He has not left us to walk this path alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us his word, the Bible, and he has given us each other. He has given us the church. And I guarantee you, if you call out to one of those, they will answer. Call out to the Lord. Call out on his word. Call out to the church. You are not alone. Help will come. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the path that you have laid out for us. And we thank you that though it is very difficult at times, we are never, ever alone. You are with us. Your Holy Spirit lives inside of us through faith in Jesus, and we're so grateful. Father, I pray that you would give us strength to say no to sin. Strength to stay on the path. Lord, help us to say no to sin. To resist temptation. To resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Lord, remind us of our resources. That we have the Holy Spirit. That we have your word, the Bible. That we have the church. And we can call out on any one of those and help will come. Don't let us forget that. Father, we thank you for your word and for how your spirit speaks through it. I pray that we would be different as a result of our time together. And if anyone has not yet started on the path, they have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, I pray even now that you would speak to their hearts, remind them of their love, your love for them, that your life and death and resurrection was for them. I pray Lord they would call out to you and ask for forgiveness and put their trust in you to direct their lives from here on out that they might join us on the path. We're not all in different, we're not all in the same places on the trail. Lord, keep us on it. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipi, New Hampshire, 03890.